with you. You can go ahead and be turning there. It's uh, the second shortest letter in the New Testament. Uh, if you have any trouble finding it, it's after 1 John and before 3 John. Uh, or you can work your way backwards from Revelation and you'll get there pretty quick. So uh, if you'll uh, be turning there, uh, that is, again, where we'll be this morning. And we finished 1 John. James wrapped that up for us. And uh, it was a longer letter. We're going to see some similar themes carried over into 2 John. And one of the things that you might be thinking as well, like it's starting to sound a little repetitive, John. What's, what's the deal? Well, 1 John in many ways is sort of written, a lot of people think it may have been first uh, spoken. He may have spoken to a, a gathering of many churches, perhaps. Uh, and then 2 John is written to a, a specific local church dealing with a specific, some specific issues. And then we'll find 3 John next week is written to a specific leader in a local church. And I think what has highlighted there is the, the beauty of the connectivity of the church and, and the fact that he's going to be dealing with deceivers, those who have gone out. And we, it, it's one of those things that indicates the church from those who are outside of the church and teaching and false teaching and all that sort of thing. So that's where we're going to go. So in light of that... Let's go ahead now and submit ourselves to God's Word in 2 John. We'll read the whole letter, all 13 verses. This is God's Word. Let's hear it now together. The elder, to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as you were commanded by the Father. And now I ask, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another, and this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment. Just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teachings of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teachings has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. Whoever, whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use pen and paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. This is the word of the Lord. I want to pray and ask that the Lord would guide us through this together, that he would lead us in his word. Father, we thank you that you have given us your word. And we simply ask that you would send your word out to have its way in us, Lord. Uh, speak through me a fallible, broken man redeemed by your grace alone. Father, we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. 
I have uh, great memories as a kid uh, going to a couple places outside of Atlanta, Six Flags and Whitewater. I remember going, and I remember just the joy of even the drive over, the anticipation of knowing, okay, it's only going to be a couple of hours, and just the it was every exit, I would almost count the exits, like, here we go, we're getting closer, we're getting closer. And I remember the point where you could get on the road, and you could, the point where you could start to see the park, right? You could see the roller coaster, or if you're at the water park, you could start to see stuff. And the excitement continues to build, and you get parked. And then you're going through the parking lot, and, like, you're having to hold back, like, okay, I want to go running in, right? But i got to stay with my family. And then, you know, you get through the gate, and, you know, as a kid, you're ready to just shoot off to wherever you're going to go. Like, I want to go to that slot. I want to go to that one. And you're ready to just, energy is building up. Excitement's building up. And I, uh, I remember one specific time where I was there, and I remember just seeing a slide, this is at Whitewater, I remember seeing a slide, I was like, I wanna, I'm ready to go there, I want to go there, y'all family, come on, let's go, we're going over here, so I thought I'd lead the way, right, and I, weaving through the, cra- the crowd as a kid, you know, you can get pretty fast, kids can, can weave through crowds pretty quickly, and so I'm going, and I'm going, and I get there, and I see where I want to go, and we're there, and I turn back, and I'm like, hey, it's right there, my I don't see my parents, I don't see, I'm like starting to freak out, and I panic then, it's not excitement over this water slide, it's panic because I don't see my parents. And now I'm looking around everywhere at all these strangers like, hey, do you, see, do you, do you know where my parents are? Do you, do you? And they were likely had me in sight the whole time. They were probably just a 10 or so yards away. But I didn't see them. And so I had panic. And it only probably lasted, you know, all of 30 seconds. But it felt like an eternity. And it was the, the panic came and the excitement went away because... I had run on ahead. I decided, you know, I'm going to make my own way instead of just sort of trusting, like, I'm going to follow my parents because they know what's good for me and I can go with them and they're going to take, they want me to have fun. That's why they brought me here. But I decided, no, I've got to, I've got to get where I'm going. I've got to make my way there. And so I left what was good and trustworthy and found myself alone and fearful in this uh, water park. They had me in their sights but I didn't have them in my sights. And in that moment, I felt like I didn't have them. I was panicked. I didn't have peace or joy. It all went away. I think John is doing a similar thing as it relates to our eternal souls with this letter. Very often, I think functionally, if I'm honest and perhaps you're with me, we can functionally plow our own way that is maybe apart from what God is, is, has for us. And it can become from a couple of things. It could be that an individual is not born again and does not have the heart of Christ and therefore cannot follow him. Okay, that could be one issue. It could be that we belong to him, but we keep falling back into that old lie. We believe that same old lie that came from the beginning that says, God, you know what, I... I it feels like you're holding back on me. I feel like I could figure this out on my own. Like, can I, I, can I just do this? Like, can you just help me along the way? Like, could, could you take care of this so that I can get there? Now, we wouldn't say we're doing that, but sometimes functionally, don't we do it? I think we do. In either case, when we are making our own way, when we're making our own way, it functionally is telling us what we believe about who Jesus is and who he says he is. 
which way we see him according to what he says of who he is will take us down one of two ways. One way, if we surrender to who he says he is, it will be the, as John will show us, this radically simple following Jesus. The radically simple way of following him. The other way, the plowing our own way, is very much a restless, monotonous, complex, making our own way. We never arrive. Now, in this letter, we see a couple of themes which will guide us through this this passage together. I want to draw them out. Truth, we see the theme of truth, the theme of love, and the theme of peace. And that's going to sort of guide us through this time together in this letter from Pastor John. Let's begin with truth. What Scripture claims about who Jesus is? The claims that Jesus himself makes. Truth claims. I think we live in a day where truth claims are offensive. They can be, right? Some people say, yeah, you you can't make a truth claim. Truth claims are offensive, and you can't do that. Well, that's actually a truth claim. Saying that truth claims are offensive is a truth claim in and of itself. So everybody makes them. Everybody's got truth claims. Everybody holds to some sort of version of the truth. There's no such thing as everything being sort of everybody having their own thing. We all make truth claims. And then others of us will say, yeah, we should hold to a truth claim, and if you don't hold to this truth claim, you're wrong. Now, that sounds good in terms of following Scripture, but sometimes, again, functionally, we sort of want to hold a truth claim that fits our way, don't we, sometimes? We like to to hold to this particular thing, whatever it is, if if it... kind of falls in line with with my way of doing things. Again, it's hard to surrender to authority. (laughs) It's hard to surrender to the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. It challenges us. But this is not just an issue of today. Truth claims have always been offensive. Jesus offended a lot of people by making truth claims, didn't he? He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father but through me. He said a lot of things that offended a lot of people. So you think, well, Jesus, man, what's the, like you're saying, you're the only way. Is it really that exclusive? You're really the only way to God? Come on, Jesus. Well, John takes those truth claims and he puts them back on the table for us. He says, oh, don't forget this. This is what Jesus said. You got to do something with it. And John's simply doing that here. Five times in the first four verses of this letter, he uses the word truth. He says, he's writing to the church, this local church, which he says the the elect lady, and there's a lot of views on who's the elect lady, who's he talking about, and I don't want to get into all that other than to say my view is he's actually using it as as a figure of speech to refer to a local church. He says, dear lady, the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, not only I, but also all who know the truth because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. He's talking about this, uh, he's talking about a community of truth here. All those who know the truth. 
again, sounds like John's getting a little exclusive here. He's like, okay, all of us who are, who are in, who submit to the truth, who know the truth, the world may say that sounds arrogant, that sounds exclusive. But what does it mean to actually surrender to the truth that John's talking about here? Is it an arrogant statement or not? It's actually not. Think about what it means to surrender to the gospel truth. It means, it's making a statement. I'm making a statement of myself, and you're making a statement of yourself. If we surrender to Christ that says, hey, I am a fouled up wretch. And I'm so wretched. My wretchedness is not something that happened to me from the outside. It's actually at the core of my being and who I am. I am wretched from the core, from the inside out. And I can't fix it. I have no hope, and I'll have to consign myself to that unless the God-man himself dies and stands in my place. That's how wretched I know that I've come to understand myself. Friends, that's a a very humble statement in a world of arrogance where the world is saying, hey, this is how you do it. No, this is how you do it. This is the way. Everyone's trying to make their own way. And when we surrender the gospel truth, it's a statement of humility. I am that bad and I can't do anything about it unless God does something in my place. So it's a statement of humility when we surrender to the truth of the gospel. Now, speaking of uh, making our own way, the deceivers went out, as John speaks about here in verse 7. He says, many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. So that's one thing that deceivers do. They do not confess Jesus Christ having come in the flesh. That's unique, okay? What he's saying there, and this is sort of the views, and and James explained some of this when uh, John spoke about it in 1 John, uh, the same statement is there as well, and it's this issue of they believed that God came on to the man Jesus at his baptism and then left him on the cross. So God departed from the man Jesus. That's that's what the commentators say, that's what they believed when they said that he, they did not confess Jesus coming in the flesh, the Son of God. The problem with that is that it's left Jesus as just a man on the cross. It's like God just came down and did some cool stuff through this guy, healed some people, did some miracles, gave some great teaching and inspired lots of people, and then he checked out. There's no atonement then. And it's just like all other religions of the world that say, hey, here's some good teaching, follow this, do this, you'll be enlightened, and you'll perhaps arrive if you try really hard and do a really good job. So we're left with that if Christ was not both God and man in the same person. So there's the issue with that. But they go on ahead of the teachings of Christ, too. They go on and try to find something more enlightened, more advanced, more new and novel and different. And when they do that, they leave the simplicity and beauty of Christ's teachings and who he says he was. And there's two types of people, then. John is saying those who remain and abide in the teachings of Jesus and those who do not. So... Two, two types of people. You know what a watershed is? 
you seen the signs for like the Cahaba River watershed where water comes together into the Cahaba River, right? Uh, the Lake District in England, uh, we lived there and we'd go up there in the Lake District. There's lots of lakes, but there's also lots of mountains, and the mountains were the watershed that divided the waters into lakes. We also speak of watershed moments in history, right? Like the, the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand. Does that ring a bell? What did that start off? World War II. It was a, a watershed moment in history where the nations divided themselves and went to war. It was a watershed moment. Jesus coming and making the truth claims that he did was a watershed. People fall on one side or the other of Jesus. But now the difference is World War II brought destruction. Christ comes not to bring destruction, but to expose our hearts, to open us up to our need of him so that there might be true healing and life eternal. And truth, by the way, we often think of truth and we think about some sort of set of knowledge or facts or data that we've got to drill into our heads I can just get the truth. If it's an argument that I can convince myself of or convince someone else of, then I'll get it. But the way John talks about truth and the way Jesus talks about truth is, well, truth is a person. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So truth is a person. And he comes. Truth is not something that we've got to, again, get into our heads It's something that must captivate our hearts. He, Jesus, the truth, he shows us what we really love the most. (laughs) Which leads us to our next point here. Love. And you see that statement there, if you're looking at the outline, it says delighting in his commandments. Now that's one of those things where you think like, it sort of gets back to what James talked about in the confession. How, How can I, with the psalmist, say, I delight in your law? Can we do that? I mean, we could say it. I can say that, and I can say, yes, Lord, I delight in your law, but do I functionally live it out? Sometimes it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to go there. Now, notice uh, Pastor John's uh, way of, of thinking here, his teaching. His, he, he goes through verses 4 to 6 in, in an interesting way. Let's just follow his logic for a moment. He says, hey, I rejoice that uh, some of your children, some of the people in your church are walking in the truth. Good. That's good. Okay, good. Just as the Father commanded. Okay. All right. So we're following following God. Good. Now I ask uh, that you, uh, dear lady, this is, I'm asking you something that's not a new commandment. Okay, Pastor John, so it's not new. That means it's the same commandment that the Father gave, right? Okay, I'm tracking with you. So what's this new commandment, Pastor John? Love one another. Oh, okay, all right, love one another. So that's what we're doing now. What's that look like, Pastor John? Uh, Walking according to his commandments. Following his commands. He says, this is love. That we walk according to his commandments. And it's the commandment. Okay, wait a second. Pastor John, what are you saying here? It sounds like he's arguing in a circle. Like walk according to the truth. Okay, that's as you were commanded. Well, what are we commanded? Now I'm going to give you not a new commandment, 
but to love each other. Oh, and this is, that's the commandment. Loving, loving is obeying Jesus' commands. Is he arguing with us? Where's he going? What are you saying, John? Well, he's saying that walking in the truth is walking in love, and walking in love is walking in the truth. He's equating the two for us. Saying truth and love, can't, they must go together if we know Christ. If we submit to his truth, we love him. What happens when you love someone, when you really love someone? When we're talking about the, the love that scripture speaks of, that others, other-oriented love. I, I'm learning, uh, largely through marriage, that uh, oftentimes one of the best ways to love someone, to love my wife, is to really listen to her. But not only to listen, but to listen to hear her. To actually hear what she's saying, and not only hear what she's saying, but take what she's saying and hold it. And say, I hear you, and I am now taking this on board with me. I hear you. That may be one of the best ways I can show her that I love her. When Jesus speaks, he says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. So if I take and I listen to Jesus, if I really hear him and I take it on board and hold on to it, that may be the best way to show Christ that I love him in return for what he has done for me. If God Almighty is who he says he is, shouldn't we listen? <laughs> but again, we hear commandments. We hear things like that and we bristle. Mm, commands, law, ooh. I, I don't know. Weren't we free of all that? I, I, didn't we throw all that off with grace? Well, we might follow commands if they further our way, right? I, I'll slow down when I see the cop because I don't want a ticket. That, that's just going back to me. That's self, right? And, you know, here, here's the thing about commands. You know, we have all these experiences of, say, uh, those in authority over us, over us, fallen human authority. Guess what? It's fallen. It's flawed. It's not perfect. And so we get commands that come down to us that are imperfect. And we take that and it colors how we view God's commands. And so we take that on board and say, ooh, I don't know. What if it's not right? What if, what if he got it wrong? What if it's not in my best interest? What if he was acting uh, in selfishness? And we say, whoa, wait, God doesn't do that. But we get those confused. And we miss the fact that God's commands are our ultimate good and joy and delight. Now, it's, it's as if... It's as if we see someone playing in a puddle. Say you see a kid playing in a puddle, right? And just You say to that kid, hey, actually just over that hill is the most beautiful, vast ocean that, in, the, in the world. The, the most amazing view you'd ever see. And that kid says, no, I want to play in my puddle. You sort of do that sometimes where God's saying, hey, I know this is great and all, but if you just follow what I'm telling you to, it's going to be the most amazing thing you'd ever imagine. Like, are you sure about that, God? I don't know if I trust you. It's kind of how we function with God's commands. Now, I want to I'll speak for a moment about, that's what sort of 
what it means to love Christ is to listen to him. What, what about loving others? John's talking here about loving others. Uh, author Michael Horton, he says that loving a cause can sometimes be much easier than loving a person. Isn't that true? If we're not careful, even in the name of loving others, we can impose our view onto them. We can place expectations on them that go beyond what God has asked them to do. And we can, out of, out of a desire to love or further a cause, sometimes it's easier to do that than to love another person. Now, back to this idea of loving Jesus. When Jesus called his first disciples, in the beginning of the Gospel of John, he calls his first two disciples. They, come, they, they were following John the Baptist, and then they see Jesus, and John the Baptist says, hey, there's the guy right there. And so they start following Jesus, and Jesus sees him, and he says, what do you want? <laughs> what, what do you mean, Jesus? What do, you, what, what do I want? I don't know. Where, can we come hang out with you? <laughs> that question, through God's word, is also asked of us. What do you want? With Jesus. Sometimes we want what He can do for us more than we want Him. Sometimes we want, we don't, let me put it this way the only, the only way we'll delight in God's law if we, is if we delight in Him first. Delighting in the law of the Lord comes by way of delighting in the lawgiver. How's that going to happen? Do we, just, do we just sort of try really hard to feel it and say, all right, I'm going to delight in the law of the Lord this time. I'm going to do it. I'm going to be like the psalmist and says, I delight in your law, Lord. How do we get there? Well, I don't, I don't know about you, but I can't just make it. I can't muster it up. It comes by way of a new heart. It comes by way of, look, in, look at verse 5 there. It says, I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one that you've had from the beginning. He's probably referring to what you heard when you heard the gospel. Or he may be referring to what Jesus said. Now Jesus said, I, a new commandment I give you, <laughs> that you love one another. Jesus said it was new. He, he was able to do that. He was able to say this is new. But what's new about it? Think about the new covenant. This is going back to Ezekiel and Jeremiah. The promise of the new covenant in the prophets was this. We're not changing anything. God has said what he has said. But guess what? You are unable to follow it unless I put my spirit within you. I'll put my law on your hearts. You will delight in it because I will give you a heart like mine. That's the problem. That's the newness of the new covenant is that Christ came and fulfilled it and gave us the ability to love it. So it requires receiving the new heart, new birth in Christ. And guess what? That leads to that last theme of peace. What we love most reveals what we believe about Jesus. And what we believe about Jesus then shapes all of our loves. It sets us on a trajectory of either following, again, that radically simple way, the way of following Christ, which is walking in the truth, 
which is walking in love, which is walking in the truth. That's the simplicity of the gospel. Versus going our own way and, and, and never really getting there. The monotonous every day, looking for the next thing, looking for how, I hope I can get it right this today. I hope I can do it right today. And, to, and you never arrive. Never arrive. We're, making it, we'll, we're always be making our own way. And life on our own, life apart from the way, life following our way, will be a life of coping rather than living. Restlessness versus rest. Toiling rather than enjoying. Looking for the next great thing rather than being present in the moment. Seeking enlightenment rather than being in the light. Sort of a way that characterizes these two ways. And there will be no peace if we're on our own way. No peace. There's, we see this in the world. We see this in, in, in people we know, famous characters, right? We see uh, there's a couple of people here as I was looking, uh, looking, this, looking at this this week. Uh, an article that was about uh, Madonna. She says, I wanted to be somebody because I felt like a nobody. And so her life has been one thing after the next to try to be somebody, making her own way. Tom Brady gave a, 15 years ago, gave a 60 Minutes interview. He had three, three Super Bowl rings at the time. He said, why is it that I've got these three rings and I feel like there's still something else for me to do out there? There's, I feel like there's more. I've got, it just didn't quite do it for me. I've got to keep going to, to get there. But when's it going to be enough? The only way it's possible is to have a new heart that's satisfied with Christ. And delights in his law. That will bring peace. I began with the the story of running on ahead and me running on ahead as a child at Whitewater. Now I'm a parent, and guess what? I've had my kids have the same experience. Uh, Earlier this year, we were at McWayne, and we were on the third floor corralling the kids together. We're like, okay, we're going to. We're going to go to the second floor now, and we're going to go here, okay, so everybody know what we're doing, and you know, in the meantime, one of the kids is hitting the button over here to get the elevator to come, so we're like, all right, we're going to the second floor, guys, everybody clear, you know where you're going, and uh, then we hear the door open, and we look over, and Evie's already on, hitting the button, door closes, and we're like, oh, Michelle and I, like, it goes like, panic, how are we going to find her now? <laughs> So we go to panic mode, and we're looking for them. We jump on the next elevator, and we stop at the second floor. Not there. Oh, no. Okay, down to the first floor. Oh, there she is. There she is. In our sinful, flawed way of doing it, we still pursued her with all we had in us to try to find our daughter, with all the panic and anxiety that came along the way. How much more? Will our Heavenly Father go and find His children who are on their own way? How much more? He came and got us by launching His own Son into a hostile world that hated Him. And guess what? We didn't want to be found either. But He still came. And He came, He loved us to the end, to His own death, a death that would replace us, it would stand, not replace us, it would stand in our place 
and would replace our heart of stone with a heart of flesh that would be soft towards His law, would delight in His law. However it is you find yourself today functionally plowing your own way, I want to invite you to consider Christ, to consider His truth claims, to consider what it looks like to delight in His law. And again, if, that, if you're here and you have not been born again with a new heart to be able to do that, then I invite you to surrender to that. Surrender to Him today. But if you're here and you just found yourself, again, functionally pursuing your own way, know that the Father's always going to come after His own. He'll always find you, no matter where you've gone. He, knows, he already knows where you're headed before you even head there. And He's going to get you. He's going to have you because you are His. And He loves you that much. So, this morning, brothers and sisters, know the truth. Because the truth is love. And truth in love are embodied in a person, Jesus Christ. Knowing Him means peace and joy beyond anything you could ever imagine. Let alone find on your own. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you that no matter where we try to go to make our own way, you will find your people because you've loved us that much. You loved us that much that you sent your own son to die. You turned your back on him so that you could have us, Lord. Help us to have the faith to trust that you will have your people. Help us to have the faith to surrender again and again to your truth and delight in your law that we may have peace and joy in you. Lord, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.